Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of August 17th, 2021, and episode number 488. And this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at ParanormalKing.com. And of course, the home of the Paranormal News Insider is uh, ParanewsInsider.com. I almost forgot my own website. That would be... uh, Really bad. So paranewsinsider.com and, of course, paranormalking.com uh, is the uh, the unofficial home, the home of the network home, and uh, the home of a lot of great shows. Uh, if you've not listened to the, the other shows on this network, you're you're missing out. And hopefully I, uh, I add to the entire smorgasbord of paranormal information and uh, education. I suppose you throw that word in there uh, as well. And tonight we've got some interesting news. And speaking of education, hopefully I'm going to get uh, some time. We're going to sit and we're going to talk about what it takes to investigate the paranormal. It's a, it's a lot harder than uh, just sitting around and looking at pictures or guessing or running around in a, in a dark building with a flashlight. Seems like what a lot of people do. Um, we're gonna. I'm gonna carve out a little bit of time to talk about that uh, tonight, and we got some. I, I guess I'll, I'll go ahead and and make um uh, kind of an announcement. I guess for uh, this fall, I'm very excited. I'm going to uh, actually have an appearance this year. Uh, I didn't think I would have any sort of live or otherwise appearance, but with all these things going on with. Uh, now, variant is the, the word of the year this year. Uh, so last year I had a, a couple of uh, kind of scratches from appearing at live uh, appearances or, or places. And uh, I did one, I can't remember, it wasn't a Zoom meeting, I forget what it was. Uh, you know, one of those, they're all the same, the virtual things. Um, uh, first live appearance since 2019, I guess, yeah. I'm thinking about it. Uh, I'll be back at the Westerville Public Library on October 18th, and hopefully uh, I'll be able to appear live. That's always the big question, whether or not, you know, in the last two years, whether things are going to hold out. Uh, Things are a little sketchy, but uh, hopefully I'll be there uh, October 18th. And so far it's uh, my... My uh, presentation is called The Unexplained, Cryptozoology, Ghosts, UFOs, and More. Uh, what are the facts, which is, informa- uh, which is interesting to throw the word fact in there. Uh, now, I'm just going on what, what I was asked to speak on, and, and I like that. I like the challenge of being given a topic and then uh, handcrafting a presentation around it. So every time I, I do a public presentation... Uh, especially if I do a PowerPoint, each one is pretty much customized to that event. Uh, you know, sometimes some of the slides are 
rehashed or reused. Uh, but I like to handcraft a, uh, every presentation. This one I'm, I'm excited about. This is going to be the 13th consecutive appearance. I should say the 13th consecutive year to make an appearance. Uh, one year I appeared twice. And of course, last year I was only there virtually. It's only on camera, I guess. Um, so it'll be fun to get back and to down to one of my favorite libraries that has, uh, pretty sure it's the only library in Ohio that has all my books. So that's exciting. I always visit my books. Hopefully they're not there. Hopefully that somebody has them out. So it's it's going to be nice to get down to uh, Westerville, which is in the Columbus, Ohio region. If you're in the area, it's uh, on the kind of the northwest. I'm sorry, northeast side. If you're looking at the map, um, they're on the outskirts of the 270 outer belt. It's a beautiful library too. It's a double decker. Uh, it's got a historical area. Plus, they built on a lot of new. Uh, parts of the building and it's uh, kind of downtown the little downtown thing it's a little square and everything so it's it's pretty nice um a couple years ago they had the um uh, presidential debate right down the street when i was there so pretty cool um still had a big crowd still had a big crowd so i'm looking forward to that i'm excited to actually getting out and talking and we'll have a little bit of that tonight as we, uh, as, uh, hopefully I'll have a little time. I'm going to carve out some time tonight. I purposely left uh, a few things on the wayside to be able to talk about this stuff. And yeah, libraries, how many people actually use a library other than like uh, taking movies, getting free movies and stuff, uh, you know, freebies, um, I mean, I guess people still get books, but music and, and movies seems like when I, I go into a library, I see people, uh, more people huddled around that. And you see the younger kids huddled around the computers, their faces uh, into a screen, and the the shelves with the books are, are generally empty. And it's pretty sad. I mean, I started out in libraries. That's what got me hooked in research. It's what got me hooked into uh, learning to figure these things out is what got me hooked into the ghost field way back in 1996. Uh, reading, looking at books. Uh, that was before the internet. Really, we didn't have much uh, on the internet. Was, I think that was, well, that was pre-World Wide Web. We didn't have web browsers back then. Uh, that was when AOL was starting to get off the ground. Uh, I already had a few email addresses back then, I guess, but um, you had to really work to find information, but yeah, I still still use libraries, not as much as I, I'd like. I probably order more books online. Um, I mean, unfortunately, bookstores are few and far in between, and, and libraries generally have older stuff, so it makes it harder, uh, but they're still a valuable resource, and it's one thing I love to go to libraries to speak because hopefully I'm bringing people into those buildings that may not normally utilize it, and uh, I get all giddy and I talk about books and uh, because I, I want people to use that as a resource. It's much better than these TV shows that are, are training people. Uh, you're not going to learn much from a TV show, trust me, unless you're trying to sell a car. Uh, shows are just full of drama. Uh, it's, it's a soap opera with ghosts 
or cryptids or UFOs or whatever, and, uh, a lot of times they're fooled by things or they get misinformation. So books, I mean, yeah, books aren't infallible either. You know, books are full of misinformation and, and beliefs more so than actual good information. But uh, you're going to find stuff there that's uh, much, much better for learning and moving yourself forward. If you want to become an, an investigator or a researcher in the unknown, the paranormal, or just anything anomalous that goes on out there, uh, books are still there. And, of course, you have access to periodicals, magazines, and things. Uh, hopefully, uh, I've been lucky enough to find some parapsychology journals in a few different libraries. Of course, uh, uh, secondhand bookstores. Uh, I've been lucky enough to land some fantastic books that would have cost me hundreds of dollars online. Uh, so you never know. And bookstores are harder and harder to find, it seems like. So it's a dying thing. Uh, I will always read books. I don't care. Never caught on with the uh, Kindle and all those things. It's it's hard to read on a phone, I guess. I just I just read stories or you know news stories and things. I, it's hard to read a book on there. Anyway, I don't want to get too carried away. We're gonna jump into the news this week. Uh, cryptid news, of course, is where we always kick it off, and uh, our favorite monster. Is back in the news this week. Yes, the Loch Ness Monster. You can always count on a Loch Ness Monster story. If all else fails and uh, nothing else is moving about, the Loch Ness Monster is always there. Uh, so the Loch Ness Monster has officially racked up 10 official sightings for 2021. Wow. It's off to a huge start. Now, official basically means uh, through the official Loch Ness Monster a website uh, that tracks sightings. Uh, there's no, it's just one guy, basically, keeps track of this stuff. And the news, they eat it up over there. Uh, it's it's a huge clickbait in the United Kingdom. Everybody's always, you know, wanting to escape, uh, I guess, reality or things, political things going on. So everybody reads those stories. And, uh, you know, any UFO thing, also gets clicked on, but you can always guarantee if you throw the Loch Ness Monster in there, people are going to click on it. You're going to sell stuff. And, you know, looking at these 10 sightings, I'm a little skeptical. Uh, six of those sightings were done on the, uh, I mean, we've talked about it, less than stellar webcam. Really horrible. Um, you know, they always joke about a potato taking pictures. Yeah, it's pretty bad. To see some of these pictures. It looks like it's on a, a hill three miles away from the water. And somebody smeared petroleum jelly on the lens. And it, it's just bad. It's just bad. Uh, the last two sightings were captured by people at the lock. And strangely enough. I found this interesting. Uh, the last two sightings both mention. Tour boat vessels operated by Loch Ness by Jacobite. So. Uh, a tour boat, well, great, now I'm talking about it too, a, uh, you know, independent company. There's a bunch of companies that, that uh, have boats on the water, and it uh, looks like this one's getting a little advertising. So I wonder how much uh, that's going to influence things from here on out. People use boats by name. 
Uh, however, one visitor who came to the uh, Loch Ness area to see the monster uh, didn't quite get the show that he wanted. Was a little upset. And, you know, I've had those vacations. I've had those times where you go somewhere and you, you don't get good service or you don't get what you expect. And you got to do your research, though. You got to know what you're you got to know what you're looking for or looking at. And uh, this person gave a one star review. That's out of five stars, by the way. That's, I think that's pretty normal. Five stars. Um, after visiting the Loch Ness area and not seeing the creature. So I guess when you go there, you have to see it. I don't know. Uh, this person uh, put on TripAdvisor this review. Uh, obviously, one of the larger, if not the, I guess that's the largest TripAdvisor. Everybody reads TripAdvisor. Uh, I know I utilize it. I've left uh, a number. I think I'm well over 120 reviews. I could probably do a lot more, but I don't do every single one. A lot of people do. They go to a restaurant down the street that uses TripAdvisor. I only use it when I go to big places. Uh, when I go on vacation, I go on a cruise, or I go uh, to a, a different state or to a uh, kind of a touristy area, I suppose. But uh, yeah, TripAdvisor is pretty big. And the review uh, read, it says, quote, what a disappointment. We traveled 400 miles from Grimsby to see the Loch Ness Monster, and it didn't show up. Don't go if you're wanting to see it because it it you will end up bitterly disappointed. You've got to proofread those things. Uh, like we were. Wife and two kids waited around for hours. Viewpoints were crowded and dirty. And the weather was terrible. Like it's the lake's fault for that. Uh, one moment sunshine, the next it was hard to keep up. I thought the whole experience was horrendous. I wish I hadn't bothered. It's just a tourist trap. Really? No kidding. And not sure why they would advertise the Loch Ness Monster when it's all a lie. There's much better places in Scotland. Won't be coming back. That's it. End quote. Uh, the post was submitted on August 4th by a user with the name Ron uh, for his visit back in June of this year. And it was the uh, 28th one-star review for Loch Ness. Uh, itself out of the 1,725 reviews. And so far, it's maintained a 4.5 star, again, out of five star rating. That's pretty good. That's pretty solid. I mean, how, how can a lake be wrong? I don't get that. It's just, a, it's a body of water. And so there's, out of the 1,725 reviews, 913 are excellent. 511, very good. 220 average, 53 poor, and of course the 28 terrible reviews. Uh, the rest I, I read that were terrible were just, I don't know, just subjective things that probably wouldn't happen to everybody. You know, just terrible luck, I suppose. But yeah, take it out on Loch Ness. It's, it's you know, it's fault as a lake, I guess. Uh, people have that. Most people leave... Uh, if, you, if there's anywhere to leave reviews, people either leave really good reviews or really bad. So, yeah, this is, uh, I guess this is more skewed toward the top and middle, but, um, I mean, be fair. Come on. 
What'd you expect? And, and obviously, I, I'm pretty sure this is just a tongue-in-cheek kind of thing. A lot of these reviews pop up to kind of get attention like this, and people are just trying to uh, to write something and be crafty and funny uh, to get people to uh, pay attention to it and talk about it like we are here. And it uh, made the the newsreel out there in the United Kingdom, the Sun, and a couple of other places. So, of course, if you want to keep up on the latest Loch Ness Monster sightings, official ones, go to Loch Ness Sightings.com. All one word, Loch Ness Sightings.com. And you can uh, look at decade by decade, year by year, however you want to look at it. It's exciting reading. And uh, hopefully somebody... Some other monster out there steps up soon. Not my favorite thing to talk about, but it's in it's in the news, so I got to talk about it. I can't ignore it. It's there, and one of my favorite uh, kind of uh, off-topic, I guess, off-cryptid topics. Some people argue and say uh, these aren't cryptids, but you know there is room by definition for these things, and. You know, a couple of years ago, 2019, this is a big year for these creatures. Of course, I'm talking about alligators. And people are like, how can an alligator be a cryptid? Well, when you have uh, alligators on the loose in Chicago, that's a big deal. And that was one of the biggest stories in 2019 was uh, on an alligator that was on the loose in a lagoon in the Chicago, Illinois area. Uh, he went on to become known as Chance the Snapper. And uh, was uh, just one of the many recent alligators seen in the wild. They, they're all the time up there in Chicago, out there in, in the water, in the lake, and uh, surrounding areas. Chicago is a big area for random alligator sightings. Now, how do they get there? Now, if they are making their own way to Chicago, that would be a cryptid. Unfortunately, uh, most of these are more than likely, if not... Uh, determined to be pets that are just tossed into the water, just uh, uh, tossed aside. They got too big. People can't take care of them. They decide, eh, you know, it was fun last year, but now I don't want the responsibility. So they just toss it in the water. And, of course, uh, they usually don't survive uh, cold weather. They, they can survive for a little while. Uh, they can uh, survive in icy water for a while but it gets too cold too long and uh, they just can't move around and they just can't breathe and they eventually die and it's it's pretty sad that that happens and it's amazing how many are discovered and how many stories there are if you just look um it's not front page news these things aren't generally uh, talked about too big it's one of the reasons why i liked talking about it when i started digging in and i see these stories just kind of in the undercurrent of the uh, regular news uh, the paranormal news started carrying it, started talking about it in 2019, got really big, uh, especially with Chance the Snapper. But there was also, in 2019, seven different alligators that were captured in the wild in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. Uh, it was a really weird thing going on, and uh, I made some assumptions. Uh, there was three seen in a couple square mile area, and maybe wonder why. Why are they popping up in the same spot? Well, last week, 
the West Mifflin Police Department. Uh, so West Mifflin is just southeast of the Pittsburgh. Uh, I guess is it a metropolitan area? I think so. We'll go with that. Uh, southeast of Pittsburgh, they captured an alligator and posted it, a picture of it on Facebook because they're old school like that. Uh, officer holding the uh, look like about a look a little bit bigger than three foot. They said it was three foot. Uh, looks probably closer to four foot to me, but you can't see the whole thing. And I don't know how big that guy is. It's kind of hard to judge. Plus, he's kind of holding it out a little bit. Uh, Force perspective when you're holding something out in front of you. You know, that's what you do when you catch a fish. You hold it out in front of you, uh, closer to the camera, so it looks ginormous. Uh, a young alligator, uh, a little smaller than the one in Pennsylvania, was also captured in the mountains of Tennessee last week. Uh, the alligator was found in the uh, a Bradley County farm pond. And Bradley County is along the Appalachian Mountains chain. That's 100 miles southwest of the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Uh, not likely that an alligator made its way up into the mountains. Not something that they would normally do. Uh, although it's interesting to note that Tennessee has reported that alligators are actually moving into the southern part of the state naturally. But uh, very few and far between it. I'm pretty sure it's still single digits on the amount of alligators that are in the area. Uh, they're kind of kept at bay by the cold weather in the state uh, during the winter. So they, they are making their way, but very slowly. And, you know, of course they say, uh, you know, it's not global warming anymore. It's climate change. It's causing it. Um, can't stop climate change. It's just, that's the world. Like nothing, everything's changing. You know, the earth is moving. It's changing. It's tilt. So we're moving. Uh, the, the, the moon is moving. I mean, nothing stays the same. The climate's always changed. It's not stayed the same for any long period of time. It's just part of, it's just part of sitting on this rock. It's what's going to happen. Uh, so does that mean the alligators are going to continue to move north? Well, maybe. And we talked about the uh, the one in Maryland. I believe that was last week. It's possible that one went out into the ocean and made its way up north. It's uh, not likely, but it's possible. Um, you never know. I have to keep an eye on that. Uh, I don't know why. I'm just, you know, there for a while I was obsessed with mountain lions. Now it seems like I'm obsessed with these uh these alligators, and I was reading today a, a kind of an unrelated uh, but a scary event that kind of ties in with these alligators. You know, you, people get these alligators. I, I guess you can order them online and get them delivered to your house. Not that I'm recommending that. I'm not. Um, but people get these. They think they're cool. You know, it's neat to to own a uh, an animal that uh, is prehistoric. Survived a long, long time, outlived the dinosaurs, and, uh, you know, they're dangerous. I mean, forget pit bulls. Uh, alligators are way more deadly than any dog. Not that pit bulls are inherently dangerous. They're very uh, loving as well. They're just dogs. People label them. Uh, but alligators, on the other hand, these are wild animals. You can't tame them. No matter how many times you're, you read about people saying, oh, this is my pet. This is uh, my friend alligator. 
Um, yeah, a scary event took place during a five-year-old's birthday party at the Scales and Tails Petting Zoo in Utah. Now, last week we talked about the six-year-old's party with Bigfoot. Uh, it was actually Bigfoot in, in, or a person in a Bigfoot costume with a tutu. And the kids were recorded and sent into viral fame. Uh, in tears, of course, you know, the parents laugh at that. The kids probably will need therapy when they get a little older. Uh, but hey, they got they got some likes. They got some attention on their TikTok uh, channel. Suppose that's all was uh, what it was all about. But um, this party in Utah, a little scarier than than the uh, costumed person walking around. Uh, an eight foot long alligator was uh, in a. I guess in a big tub and the participants were behind a, a glass enclosure. They were in the safety zone, I guess it's called. And uh, the alligator decided to grab a handler's hand and pull her into the tub. Uh, the woman, Lindsay Ball, or I'm sorry, Bull, was uh, pushing the alligator back with her hand. I should be looking at the video. Uh, and just trying to figure out how how this all happened. It happened so fast. She was kind of just pushing it uh, with her hand. The, the alligator had its head up. And then all of a sudden, it just kind of swooped under her hand, grabbed her hand, and pulled her right down into the water. Now, it kind of gets, it kind of cuts off a little bit. You can't see it. The person filming just had a static camera. It seemed like they didn't, you know, maybe it was on a tripod or sitting somewhere. Didn't really move it, I'm sure, of the, uh, when it all unfolded, you know, nobody really cared about, oh, grab your camera. I want to see this. You know, it's not like a street fight where people pull out their phones and start focusing on it. Uh, but uh, Lindsay was smart enough, uh, obviously trained, obviously knowledgeable with alligators and prepared for this kind of thing. Because uh, if, if she wasn't, it would have turned out way different. Uh, the alligator decided to do a death roll and she was ready. She rolled with the alligator, which is uh, smart because if she wouldn't, she would have uh, she would have been freed from the alligator, but would have not had a hand. Uh, luckily, a bystander jumped on the back of the alligator, and the alligator's name is Darth Gator. So, if you want to watch that video, um, it's a little scary. It's not totally, it's not super scary, but uh, gives you the creeps if you don't like that kind of stuff. Uh, can be. I know a few that I've seen have the warning label on it. Uh, so you can just search Darth Gator. And I'm sure that story will pop up. Um, this guy jumped on the back of the alligator. And you, you could tell the uh, that Lindsay was giving direction. Because the guy grabbed her and her hand and was trying to pull the al from the alligator's mouth. That's the worst thing you can do. Uh, all you're doing is uh, instilling its instincts to pull. Uh, you know, when an animal starts moving... That's when the alligator's, you know, pea-sized brain starts to go into action. And they're just going to uh, rip, tear, hold on, and death roll. And rip uh, whatever it can from the body or submerge the animal underwater. She doesn't, the alligator doesn't know a handler from a deer at this point when something's in their jaws. That's all instinct. And she uh, directed, you could see her motioning. And the guy jumped on the alligator's back, kind of soothed it a little bit, kept it from rolling. And it eventually let go. And she was pulled to safety by another bystander. And the whole thing, again, captured on video. She needed surgery 
to repair her hand. And, you know, that reinforces the, and she got lucky. I mean, eight foot alligator. She luckily, again, she was trained. If somebody would have had an emotional connection, like a pet, uh, I'm sure this would have turned deadly and it could have quick thinking, uh, on her part and the, uh, the bystanders having the guts to jump in there. I don't know, man, that's, it's pretty scary stuff. Um, but you know, they, they don't want to go after people. It's not what they want to do. But again, once they get something in their mouth, uh, they're wild animals. They just, their instincts jump in. So, uh, Lindsay doesn't hold any grudges against the alligator. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be laughing it off. You know, these are some serious creatures. And again, they're not pets. So think twice before you go out and get one of these and think you're going to have it for years. Uh, if you do decide to get an alligator, have an exit strategy. Know what you can you can do with one of these things. How long can you have it? Where can you put it? Are you really serious about having an alligator that's going to eventually be 8 to 10 feet long or, or longer? It's going to live 20, 30 years. You know, what are you going to do? And, you know, I, I don't know. You know, if you're going to have an alligator, an eight-foot-long alligator in front of six-year-olds, uh, you know, this could, this could I don't want to say scar these kids. I mean, I've seen worse things than that when I was younger. But, um, you know, it's, it's I mean, it's kind of good in a way, I think, when I was reading the story because it's going to teach them that, Wild animals are wild animals, and they're unpredictable because, again, they're wild animals. And not every animal that you see is something you can go a pet. You know, I read these stories all the time of people going up and, and wanting to take selfies with buffalo at Yellowstone. And these things will charge you. Uh, bears. You know, people think that, oh, these animals are, are here for my enjoyment. Well, no, they're wild animals. You're in their territory. And, you know, we decided to take one of these and put it, an alligator, and put it in a pool or put it in our bathtub. You know, they're used to living in nature. So we're taking it out of their environment and uh, changing it to suit our own needs. And that can become deadly. And uh, I'll leave that one where it's at. And we're going to head into UFO news for this week. Um, Still a lot of talk about all these uh, sightings of the UAP report still not settling down, uh, but nothing new on that news front. Uh, lots of, I don't know what you, the word you would use, uh, not so glamorous sightings um, all over the place. And one of the, the most popular the last couple of weeks um, took place uh, in Canada. Uh, July 30th, pilots of a military and a commercial airliner both reported seeing a green flash in the sky and made it sound like a UFO was zooming uh, away from them. Now, I don't know if that was added in uh, by people who are reporting this or who to- who saw the report. Uh, I think there's a little bit of uh, embellishment here. Uh, The event occurred over the Gulf of St. Lawrence along the Atlantic coast of Canada. And it was discovered in a report posted on August 11th to the Canadian government's aviation incident database. Uh, With the incident, it's said that both flights witnessed a, quote, bright green flying object that flew into a cloud and disappeared. 
Interesting. Uh, Stefan Watkins, an aviation and shipping researcher, tweeted some information about the account stating that according to transponder data, the military plane climbed a thousand feet in altitude at the time of the sighting. And uh, he, he guesses that it's you know, possibly to get a closer look at it. Um, I guess if you're a pilot and you're distracted, you know, you're, you're looking up. Your plane's probably going to go in that same direction. So maybe it wasn't intentional. I mean, I'm not a pilot, but I can tell you uh, I've flown quite a bit in Microsoft Flight Simulator. That's my experience in uh, flying. And if you're looking around, uh, you have, you know, that's where, uh, where you're going to go. You know, you're taught that driving a car. You're taught that driving, riding a motorcycle. Uh, look in the direction that you want to go. And that's what helps you. And I'm sure that same goes for flying a plane. Of course, again, I don't have a pilot's license, but I would assume that if you're looking in a certain direction, that your plane probably is going to go in that direction as well. So I don't think um, the military plane was chasing anything. It's probably just kind of, you know, a normal course of somebody observing something out of the ordinary. Um, and of course, you know, green flash, the, the first thing that I thought of when I read this story or I saw the headline for it, um, a meteor. So uh, most meteors, uh, large meteors, I should say, um, most little ones are, are white. They're so fast, you really can't tell. You can't really see anything. There's, there's just small pieces of dust. Uh, but uh, large meteor breakups observed in the atmosphere generally appear green. And this, of course, you probably know this is uh, due to the high presence of uh, magnesium in the meteor. And if you've never seen it, uh, I've got one of those little pictures here uh, share in the chat room of uh, what colors or what I should say, what metals, minerals, things. Uh, depends on the chemical composition. Uh, so if you have uh, magnesium, of course, it's going to be green. Sodium, primarily sodium, is going to be orange. Calcium in the meteor causes a, kind of a purplish. <sighs> to me, they look kind of like pink that I've seen. But uh, iron would be yellow. Nitrogen and or oxygen would be reddish. Uh, I've seen a few red ones. Most, I would say, are greenish. And, of course, green is the easiest wavelength for us to see, so that's why we see that. But um, pretty nifty little thing. So if you see these, and, of course, they, they can be seen in different colors. Uh, I've seen some some white ones. Of course, you know, it could be a, a variety of chemical compositions in that, creating that white effect. Um, and it could be the backlighting. It could be uh, just your your vision you know, things, they're so, they happen so fast. It's really hard to tell sometimes. Um, and the flashing of the meteor breaking up in the atmosphere. And of course, a, a, and a, you're in a plane flying at 300 plus miles an hour uh, through cloud cover. And, you know, this meteor is moving. And I've seen flashes of green in cloud cover that I, I'm pretty sure is, is meteors. It's pretty cool. Uh, but it, it is weird because generally you see them in uh, clear skies. Uh, so that flashing and the, and the breakup 
uh, the movement uh, probably confused the pilots. I mean, they're not used to seeing that stuff. Yeah, they're in the, in the sky a lot. But uh, these meteorite breakups, it's, they're actually pretty rare. And most people only maybe see one or two in their entire life. I've seen, been lucky to see about three or four of them that I remember. Uh, decent large ones. And, of course, I've studied a lot of video and watched a lot of stuff on it. So you know, I've seen a lot of different things. And that cloud cover thing really confuses people because uh, you're, you're not used to seeing that like that. Um, so moving into ghost news. It's a horrible segue. Um, well, first we got a question here. Haley's comment. It's a good question. Haley's comment. Uh, I remember that in the 80s. Right? Was that the 80s? Late 80s? Um, I remember seeing that. Saw it with the naked eye. And I remember looking at it through binoculars. And let's see. Uh, yeah, 1986. I believe it's like it's like 75 years it comes around again. I don't think I'm going to be around for that one. Let's see. Uh, yeah, mid-2061 is uh, when that's coming around again. Don't think I'll be around. That's possible we'll see other ones that uh, are decently bright, but probably not as bright as that one. But, yeah, I remember that one. You could see it literally with the naked eye in the, in the sky. It was pretty cool. Um, yeah, I have no segue. I can't think of a segue to this ghost story. But uh, a, kind of an update to a story we talked about. I believe last week, these uh, weeks all blend, blend together. Uh, probably worked more hours in the last week than I had the last month. It seems like, I don't know, it seems like I'm working a lot. Um, that jars my memory a little bit. So an update to the story uh, of the woman who fell through the floor at the Central Terminal in Buffalo, New York. Remember that? Uh, Rachel Miller and her friend Eric Hoflick wanted to see if the building was actually haunted. So they did what uh, you know most people would do. Uh, they just uh, went into the building. Here's an empty, abandoned building uh, in the side of the road in a residential area. So we're just going to walk in. We're just going to walk in and take a look around. And uh, the, the couple claims they did not see any tra no trespassing signs. So why not just walk in there? It's on TV. Seen it in a few different TV shows. I'm sure they, they saw that. Uh, of the incident, Rachel says, quote, I put my foot down to check how nice and level it is and see if it could hold my weight. And the next thing I remember, I just fell right through the floor. I don't remember the fall. I remember waking up, unquote. Well, she did fall 15 to 20 feet through a substation roof. And suffered injuries, including a broken shoulder blade, four broken ribs, and a punctured lung. And she says if uh, she'd seen any signs stating no trespassing, she would have not have entered the building. I, I don't, do you really need signs? Do you really need a sign telling you not to trespass? Well, 
Buffalo police uh, state the pair have been charged with trespassing. So that's good. Uh, you know, I remember when we were talking about the story initially, I was a little let down that there was no follow-up on that, that there was no word on whether or not uh, they were charged with that. And hopefully they learned their lesson. Uh, unfortunately, it's probably going to draw a little bit more attention to this location. Uh, hopefully they do put some no trespassing signs up. Uh, from what I've seen, you can just pretty much just drive right up to this building. And I've seen people just parking right next to it, taking pictures. And, you know, of course, it's enticing. You're going to want to walk in there. And, of course, do they have fences? No. So people are just walking right in there. And, uh, you know, it's again, it's in a crowded area right at the end of a residential area in Buffalo. So it's it's on the list of places to um, haunted places in Buffalo. Not a whole lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of historical stuff. That goes back uh, pretty far, but, you know, this one here, of course, uh, a lot of people uh, in this place. A very big building. That's I don't know if it's a historical building. I don't know why it's there. You know, question in chat, why don't they demolish it? Well, yeah, why not? It's not being used. Uh, I think they were going to use it for something. I'm sure there's a lot of squatters in there starting fires. Yeah, so anyway, man, I'll just show up on these uh, ghost teams. I'm sure there's a lot of uh, YouTube stuff. Every time one of these things pops up, I do. Uh, I'll look through YouTube to see, you know, people illegally entering these locations. I'm sure there's plenty of that in uh, there as well. So the last little bit of the show, you know, the last uh, 18 or so minutes, uh, but kind of not really dodging and just not having time to talk about this and. Uh, getting a lot of emails from people. Eh, I won't talk about all the emails I get from people. Generally, people don't agree with how I come to conclusions or the kind of the angle I take on some of these stories. And so I guess some of these emails are, hey, you know, you you talk about these things. And I, I guess from my standpoint, I kind of forget sometimes what I know and what I've learned and how long it's taken me to, to get where I'm at. And so I kind of sometimes I think take it for granted the knowledge that I have and the experience that I have. And I just assume that since everybody, you know, is also in the field that they know what I know. And it's sometimes I, I forget um, because it's not, you know, it's not difficult to, to get a lot of knowledge very quick in the anomalous fields, you know, whether or not you're in ghosts or cryptid or ufos you know it's it's, it's not a whole lot to it uh, you can learn all this stuff pretty quick i think uh, but when you get a experience uh, over time over 25 years i've been involved uh, you know you do learn things that maybe uh, other people aren't getting and you've gone through uh i've gone through several changes uh, of course when i first started out uh, everything was uh, analog so we had cassette tapes uh shoebox recorders uh, tape uh, cameras, uh, tape, uh, you know, 35 millimeter cameras. We had tape uh, VHS and VHSC uh, video recorders, and, and now everything's digital. And the technology's changed. Some of our approaches have changed. Um, you know, technology seems to take the focus versus the, the attitude and the approach that we had back in the day. Um, 
But I'm getting, getting a lot of questions is, is how do I become a better investigator, basically? And how do I research these claims? And how do you research these claims when you read these stories? Or do you just go by what people say? And it depends on who's saying what. Now, if you got somebody like Mick West from metabunk.org, uh, he seems to have his, his head screwed on straight. Uh, of course, I'll take what he says. But, you know, I don't take what people say 100%. I do my own research. I look at things myself. I make my own opinions uh, because that's what the show is. It's pretty much my opinion. And I, I don't uh, I don't just roll with the story. You know, sometimes I say things that people don't agree with and people don't like to hear. Uh, but I let the evidence or the data speak. And I don't. And when it points in a direction, you know, I don't take. Uh, I try not to be subjective. I try not to um, let my feelings or my emotions uh, get in the way. I, I let it speak for what it is. And unfortunately, most of these stories, the uh, overwhelming majority, are misinterpretations, are hoaxes, you know, the wishful thinking. Uh, it is what it is. But, you know, I feel that the, the more that we learn what to look for and the explanations, I think the more that we train ourselves to identify these things and not just wash it away and not just say, well, you know, that's – that's just another fake story. Let's move on. Uh, I'm not saying that to, to be dismissive, but to, uh, to learn how to uh, alleviate ourselves from rational explanations over time at, with these stories. We understand how to look at it. And once we get to that point of knowing what to look for and being able to identify these things, then when something anomalous, truly strange or truly unexplainable pops up, we can sit and ponder, not just to say, hey, we can't explain that, but to know that since we know this much, we also know that we don't know everything. So maybe there is an explanation uh, not to jump to that paranormal conclusion. It's just unknown. And I've had a few people uh, also uh, in a roundabout way kind of ask me, well, what gives you what makes you special? Why do you think that you can have this radio show and you can uh, judge these stories or you're, you know, you're just uh, following along with these things? And, you know, other people have asked me legitimately, like, what is your background? And I don't really talk about it much on the show. Uh, I did operate a paranormal investigation team, uh, the Ohio Paranormal Investigation Network. Uh, I was the director of that for 15 years before I decided to shut it down. Now, granted, it was paranormal. Uh, primarily a, a ghost research group, but I started to do uh, kind of independent research. I had a few people in the group that were interested in, in claims of uh, cryptids and, as well as UFO claims, UFO sightings. And there was a lot of correlations with some of the topics within ghost research. Um, I guess uh, ESP, you know, it, being able to get information or, or feelings or thoughts from you know, from the environment or from a ghost, you know, pretty much that's kind of what a ghost is. We're kind of reading the environment. Uh, but you hear about Bigfoot communicating with people through thought and aliens communicating with people through thought. So I found that interesting. And I guess that's where I kind of started crossing the line. 
uh, because ghost investigators and UFO investigators and cryptid investigators uh, 20 years ago plus, uh, we wouldn't be caught in the same room together. Uh, and now you've got paranormal groups that get bored with chasing ghosts or, or chasing each other around in the dark with flashlights on and black shirts. And they decide to get into cryptozoology or they decide to get into ufology because uh, those fields are, are, are emerging. They're becoming more popular. They're becoming mainstream now versus uh, you know, the ghost field. It's had its day. And a lot of people are, are realizing that the claims aren't exactly what they think they are. And so they're kind of getting bored or they want, you know, a different unique challenge. Or for me, I got into cryptozoology since I enjoy the outdoors. I like getting out there in, into the field and um, camping and backpacking and hiking and kayaking and all those things, dealing with the outdoors. And UFOs, I never was really a big fan of, but I realized that I knew a lot about airplanes. I grew up on the... Uh, about a mile away from a municipal airport and also on the 20-mile uh, radius for a large regional airport. Uh, so I got pretty used to seeing and hearing airplanes flying through the sky, identifying them. Uh, I've seen a lot of them flying out over Lake Erie uh, here, living in northeast Ohio, and, and they fooled a lot of people. There's some people that have made, I don't want to say a living, uh, but uh, making lots of claims about UFOs over the lake and all they're seeing is jets and people buy into it, but I know better. Um, so not just my group, but I've also worked with other people and that's the big thing because I know I don't know it all and I'm willing to ask other people questions. You know, just in, in the ghost field, I learned from people like Lloyd Auerbach, uh, emailing him and calling him and asking him questions down to uh, when I got into uh, UFOs, I, I work with MUFON. I ask them questions. And uh, different people involved in that organization helped me out to an extent. And uh, I learned a lot from their um, MUFON field investigators manual, which is quite expensive. Uh, but to me, it was worth the investment as a researcher and investigator. Uh, I also worked with a, a team called Sasquatch Research Initiative out of British Columbia, Canada, that I learned a lot not just about Bigfoot investigations, uh, but all sorts of uh, cryptid investigations, as well as just investigations in general. And uh, there for a while, I was the uh, Ohio representative of the Center for Fortean Zoology, uh, headed up by Nick Redfern. I'm sure you know who he is. Uh, we were called uh, Crypto Squad USA. It's kind of a blog. Uh, but it was a network of people. So I learned a lot from a lot of other researchers in other states, including, uh, you know, Nick himself. And uh, I guess now the Ohio representative for the CFZ is uh, uh, our own Colin Schneider, who is uh, Monday night's host of uh, Crypto Kid Show. So he's taken over the reins. You know, the younger people always move in. Uh, but... Um, so he's carrying the torch, which is pretty cool. And again, I've asked a lot of questions as a ghost researcher. I was uh, ultimately uh, asked to join an organization called Paranexus Anomalous uh, Research Association and worked with that group for a long time and was invited to the uh, what they called the Anomalous Evidence Advisory Board. So it was a, a board of... Uh, you know, some of the top researchers in the organization and people from just 
just excellent backgrounds, photographers and um, pilots and just people of different backgrounds that were all coming together, offering their own perspective. And I learned a lot from other people's perspectives on looking at evidence and disseminating things and, you know, learning how to read the EXIF data. So any digital photograph, and this is the plus side of, of digital photography, uh, anytime you have an advancement in technology, there's also a, an evil side to it. So 35 millimeter film is pretty, pretty much cut and dry. You could kind of tell, I mean, you could pretty much tell when it was altered, although there was a lot of things that could happen to it with uh, if you um, tried to do it yourself. Uh, chemicals could cause problems. Static electricity caused problems in 35 millimeter uh, prints, but you could pick it up. You could tell. And then, you know, digital comes along. It's a lot easier to get pictures. Uh, you don't have to wait to get them developed. Imagine waiting to get your pictures developed this day and age. We used to have photo mats drive through. You'd take them and have to wait a whole hour or longer, three days sometimes. Can't imagine that nowadays. But um, with digital photography, now people can can change things. There's There's kids, probably five-year-old kids that can put things in photographs uh, that would blow the movie industry out of the water 10 years ago. No, it's, it's, it's there. But uh, the good thing is, is that any kind of alteration leaves a trail. So if you know what you're doing, you know what you're looking for, you can look at the, uh, the metadata or the EXIF data in a photograph. If it's the original file, if you're looking at something strange that's been altered numerous times, you're going to see it. It's going to pop up. Uh, you'll be able to tell. Um, and they also leave a lot of trace evidence on the, the picture itself. When you zoom in, you look at pixels. There's different software you can put in there that could detect these things. So, again, every advancement in technology results in uh, people being able to fabricate or create things. But there's also ways to identify these things. And that's generally what we get in the paranormal field. We get uh, photographs, UFOs, Bigfoot, ghosts. All these things. So it's us up to us to disseminate that information. Um, and I've also written a lot of books, six books, but I, I highly recommend not reading the first three books that I wrote, uh, two of them in 2008, one in 2011. Uh, however, my last three, uh, my fourth one was uh, on, it's called the E4 method. And that's my personal methodology of ghost research it's a unique blend of different approaches uh, that if people did it they would have more experiences than i've ever had before uh, but people don't people want to take the easy way out and i get that i understand it it's an investment in time and, and knowledge and a methodology that you have to learn and repeat and people don't have the patience for it i get that um uh, so there's a lot of information about actually sitting and talking to people, which again, people don't have the patience for, uh, people don't want to interview people. You know, they're in uh, thought of interviewing people as sitting down saying, Hey, where did this happen? Where can I set up my camera? Well, there's a lot more to it than that. People have a personal investment in these things. Uh, of course my fifth and sixth books, I had written one on cryptozoology in 2014 and 2015. I had uh, Lauren Coleman wanted to get involved he wrote a forward for it, so I relaunched that book in 2015. And again, a lot of uh, focus on the interview process, but obviously the book is geared toward cryptozoology. Same thing with 
uh, handbook for the UFO investigator 2017, same thing. And that was hard to use the word investigator because to me, uh, there's a researcher and there's an investigator. And if you look up the words, they're pretty much the same thing. Uh, but to me personally, a researcher is something, or I should say someone that uh, gathers information not from the field itself, but is looking to discover information. And to a lot of people, that just means to Google things. And Googling just isn't ever, you know, that's not, that's maybe a starting point, uh, but that that's not, should not be your end all be all as a researcher. That's a starting point. It's one method of, of an avenue of research gathering. Uh, you should research to support information, not beliefs. Uh, you know, if you're, uh, investigating a Bigfoot sighting, you know, looking up Bigfoot sightings in the same city or the same county or the same state, that's not really helpful. You may think it is, but it's not going to validate the sighting. It's just going to validate your opinion of that sighting. Um, so you, you have, you know, I've mentioned journals, scientific journals. Other people are a good resource. Uh, books, like I mentioned, uh, other reference materials. There's a lot of historical data out there on, on animals and animal behavior uh, for cryptozoologists, uh, airplanes, airplane technology, uh, different things uh, dealing with uh, space, planets, uh, all sorts of, of things. Your, your imagination is the only limitation as a researcher. And I would think a good researcher, this is how I feel, I don't know how other people feel, but if you're a good researcher, you don't necessarily have to be a good field investigator or a field investigator at all. And I've utilized a lot of researchers throughout my time in the paranormal field, uh, people that don't want to even set foot in a ghostly environment or in the woods or anything like that, but they're excellent researchers. Maybe they don't even have anything to do with the paranormal. Uh, a lot of people have helped me research uh, property owners and, and you know, death certificates and uh, where people have moved to, a lot of stuff that I don't know how to do or have access to do. Uh, so utilize people. Uh, then you get into the investigator. So to me, that's boots on the ground. Somebody who's a, who's out there in the field. Um, I think the other way around, you, you have to actually be a researcher to be an investigator. If all you're doing is trounce around the woods, claiming to see Bigfoot, you hear Bigfoot knocking on trees everywhere, or you see UFOs flying overhead or ghosts everywhere, um, you got to do research or at least have somebody that you can lean on to do research. And one thing I, I think one of the biggest important things to teach people is when you're a ghost researcher, you're a cryptozoologist or ufologist, whatever you want to call yourself, there's no actual title for those. That's just kind of made up stuff. Uh, there's no degree uh, that you can get on this. That's actually an accredited from an accredited university. That's a scientific um, degree. Now, there is a lot of places you can get uh, certified or degree. We'll we can talk about that some other time. But the big thing here is you're not actually studying ghosts. You're not actually studying UFOs. You're not studying Bigfoot. What you are is essentially investigating the witness testimony, so the experiences. So think of it that way. We're not studying the actual physical things because they're not there anymore. Right, the cryptids moved on. Bigfoot's gone. He's uh, hiking up the hill, but we're looking at the experience. We're also looking at anything collected separately. So photographs, 
uh, videos, all that. Uh, we're looking at separately. And uh, the other big piece of advice I can say is know what is normal. I mean, there's no sense in labeling everything as paranormal if you don't really know what is normal. Do you know what animals actually live in the area where this person saw something? Do you know the behavior of a bear or a deer? Uh, do you know what they do? Do you know the sounds of certain animals? Do you know what a fox sounds like in heat? Do you? Um, so once you know what is normal, it helps you identify things that are potentially abnormal or even paranormal. And you got to get out there. You got to experience things. No substitute for that. And I've talked about it. Interviewing. Very, very important. People just tend to glaze over that because they want to get out in the field. Interviewing. Very, very big deal. Bottom line is solve the mystery. It's like Scooby-Doo. Pull the mask off. Uh, take the data. Take the evidence. Take it wherever it decides to take you. Don't let your emotions or your feelings or your beliefs guide you. Let the information guide you to that direction. I'll, I could talk on this for like hours and hours. It's a very um, filtered kind of uh, approach to all this stuff. Maybe I should blog about it. Uh, I blogged a little bit about um, the basics of researching online media, which is very, very important. We see these pictures all over the place. And people spread stories. Some of these pictures are rehashes from things we've seen 20 years ago. We talk about that all the time here on the show. Uh, so I do have a little bit of a blog. That's way back in 2016 I wrote that. Um, so yeah, research, research, research. Get out in the field, but don't let things be objective. Don't be subjective. Don't let things influence how you think. All right, that being said, I don't want to drag that too far. Appreciate everybody showing up tonight, listening to the show. Uh, do want to let you know there will be no show next week. I've got my inventory for where I work, and I'm going to be working like the next, I don't know, eight, nine days in a row. I worked 14 hours today, so I'm sure that it's going to be the same all week long. So it will not be here next week calling in sick. Uh, but for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind Slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.